Let me ask you this. Do you sometimes wish that April was a turtle? Whoa, oh, definitely. Oh, conceptually, that works for me. You know, I think... Mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, where you going? Oprah. Man, I cracked myself up. <laughs> Oprah, I've been okay. trying to talk her into an interspecies relationships for months now. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, well, man. And she won't do it, She huh? can't no, hold her breath No, she can't do it. The biggest problem is she can't hold her breath long enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, coming up, the turtles... We're coming out of our shell. Folks, I think I may have finally met my match. This is by far the single stupidest, most pointless choice for review in the Superhero Rewind format. What I do is in-depth story analysis. This is ostensibly a rock show. That's right, everybody. You're about to watch me attempt to analyze an hour and a half of dudes in bad animatronic suits flailing around and pretending to play instruments. Now, I wouldn't have chosen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells tour. God help me. If it didn't boast some sort of a story, and it does, but as you might expect if you only know this thing by reputation, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And yeah, it looks like it was made for the price of a large pepperoni pizza. This hardly counts as a movie, and I technically could have ignored it, so why am I putting myself through this awkward meat grinder? I mean, I did just review Green Lantern and Masters of the Universe. Am I some sort of masochist? I've been asked that question more and more frequently lately, and after dedicating the previous two years of my life to reviewing Spawn comics, it's a perfectly valid question. Note this happened because I made the mistake when I reviewed Underdog, of mentioning this video in a line of things I would review before I tackled Super Buddies, which, given that that is actually a movie and features superheroes, that qualifies as one I'm gonna have to cover before I can claim to have finally reviewed every superhero movie ever made. I also had to open my big mouth and remind everyone of Gasp, Shock, Horror, Son of the Mask, which I've gotten lots of requests for since then. You people just love watching me do this to myself, don't you? But I promised I'd give this quagmire of a stage show a once-over, and that is just what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to be asking for brain cells for Christmas this year. To continue this theme of how much I remember of things the last time I watched them, more of this thing stuck with me than either Green Lantern or Masters of the Universe. Now, that's not to say it's memorable in the conventional sense, like it does anything clever or inventive that sticks with you because it's cool, like breaking a car in half via elevator. I think I remembered a lot of this thing because A, I watched the VHS a lot when I was a kid, and incidentally I still have that. For some reason this long-lost forgotten gem has never been re-released on DVD. And B, because it's weird and counterintuitive and not at all what I would have expected. And weird stuff tends to stick with you. I don't know what it is with god-awful, unimaginable rush jobs like this slapped together to cash in on a phenomenon as fast as cameras can capture it, but a lot of kids my age ate this stuff up with a spoon. I was six years old when the concert was held at Radio City Music Hall and put on pay-per-view, but probably saw the VHS a year or two after that. It came out at the perfect time. The movie had just been released, and that blew our minds, seeming to bring our happy-go-lucky cartoon heroes to life in a gritty, edgy realism. 
It's hard to imagine now with a new generation of Turtle fans and not one but four live-action films, if you can count the Turtles in the 2014 version as live-action, but the novelty of seeing physically manifested versions of these characters was a really big deal. There was something strangely provocative about it. A live-action Batman was one thing, but these were turtles. They're green amphibians with shells on their backs. Bringing them to life, from my impressionable perspective, should have been impossible. That novelty hadn't begun to wear off yet, and so I think a lot of us, when we saw this stage show, filled in the blanks. Look, actual Ninja Turtles, not animated, playing music on stage. What more could you want? I guess being there is the only thing that would have made it better. You watch all this stuff now, and sometimes the stories are completely incomprehensible. They seem to mean something when we were kids. You hope against hope that you'll grow up, and this stuff will be just as you remembered it. But sometimes it's not, and a lot of us have had that with the original Ninja Turtles cartoon. You grow up, and the substance disappears. I don't know if that's because we were dumb little kids and we weren't using our brains so you could shove anything with a Ninja Turtle down our throats and we'd buy it. That's almost undoubtedly what the producers of this stage show thought. But I think this stuff for us worked because we were using our imaginations. There seemed to be so much more to this because of what we brought to it. That certainly doesn't excuse the supreme lack of imagination on display here. The 1990 movie holds up as well or better as it did when I was a kid. It was great spectacle when I was younger, but now I've grown up and there's a whole other layer to it. Because it's not just for the kiddies. This thing used to make more sense to me. It's like somebody removed a layer. Then I had to go off and get educated and learn about commercial exploitation and rampant consumerism. Ignorance was bliss. And yet, having endured this long, boring slog for the first time in 20 years, it's hard to believe even my 7-year-old brain filled in enough gaps to make this thing tolerable. I mean, so much of it is a gap. It's a huge, empty chasm of nothing. And then a mediocre song. And then a bunch more nothing. And then a mediocre song with a really preachy PSA kind of message. And then a bunch more nothing. At least the title is accurate. These turtles have no shells. I guess they literally came out of them. Having mastered the art of ninjutsu, because these certainly look like martial arts experts proficient in the ways of invisibility, the Ninja Turtles decide they can do more good in the world by becoming stupidly famous rock musicians and going on tour. We used to save people's lives from the shadows and take no credit. Now we bask in the limelight and revel in the cheers of screaming fans, cashing in on the fad that is us while we rip off every kind of music we can think of and yet somehow create an entire album of tracks that weirdly manage to all sort of sound the same. The super sappy message at the heart of this is that music does more to help people than violence does. You can do more good with music than with any pair of nunchucks. See? All right. Well, dudes, and besides, the toys you get to play with are twice as fun as any weapon you could use. Which is why, of course, the Turtles defeat Shredder at the end by smacking him around and then sending him off to an unknown alternate dimension. But only after they've beaten his master plan, literally, with music. Clearly, the producers realize that Ninja Turtles are role models for children, and there's a responsibility there to make sure you're not glorifying violence. But this strikes me as an oversimplified half-measure, designed more to respond to parental criticism of the Turtles, especially after the movie, rather than really thoughtfully finding a way to handle that. There's nothing here about violence being sometimes necessary as a last resort, or that there are consequences to hurting people, which I would argue the movie handles fairly well. Certainly a lot better than this, 
Nope, we're just doing one thing and saying something else entirely. Just play music and you can heal the world. Oh, and don't mind the parts where we beat up foot soldiers. It's a Ninja Turtles thing. You gotta have foot soldiers getting beaten up with hardly any choreography or hits that look like they're really connecting with anything. Would sound effects have been too much to ask for? This thing is chock full of empty platitudes and mixed messages. It's a good thing I wasn't really paying attention to any of the maudlin sermons when I was a kid because I would have been really, really confused. I mean, we weren't here for after-school special lessons. We were here for the Ninja Turtles. It didn't need to be anything more than fun, catchy songs about pizza and being a ninja and living in the sewer. And there's some of that, sure. The most tolerable tracks, though still pretty generic and not nearly as clever as they could be, aren't trying to be all deep and insightful. Ninjas and burgers or french fries The work for turtles of our size Ice cream king or apple pie They don't even pass the test, dude But pizza power Pizza Power is way more memorable and authentically Ninja Turtles than Splinter's bizarre Skipping Stones song where he suddenly transforms into John Mellencamp. The song uses throwing stones across water as a metaphor for the ripple effect our actions make. And thanks, Splinter, for taking the time to explain the entire metaphor before I had to endure this lengthy and repetitive song about it, as I couldn't have figured out what skipping stones means all by myself. Not to mention the fact that the song deciphers the metaphor for me in the lyrics. And there is a lot of that in this show, like the flashback scene that has Splinter saying almost verbatim what the Turtles just quoted him saying about how music is better than weapons. And really, a flashback? in a rock stage show. I realize we're dramatizing things here, but in a meta, this is really happening right now sort of way. Like, this isn't supposed to be a drama, but Shredder just crashed the party. Why do we need a flashback showing a person saying a thing somebody just told us they said? The song Walk Straight has the audacity to include this lyric. Don't have to tell you what you already know. Anyway, in the Skipping Stone song, Splinter says, All of you must work to only make good rings, because just like the water, the rings that go out will affect all that they touch. Right, because you can always be sure that the outcome is going to be as good as your intentions are. Read too far into that, and it sounds an awful lot like the ends justify the means to me. Nah, I'm sure that's not what was intended, and these attempts at using the turtles to inspire the youth are dull and make my eyes glaze over before they do anything. But if you're brave or bored enough to take a magnifying glass to this thing, there are some unintentional and kinda messed up implications. Take Tubin, for instance, a seemingly harmless song about surfing in the sewers, hilariously set to stock footage of kids surfing on the beach, because I guess Pizza Hut couldn't afford to build a sewer set and show the turtles Tubin where they say they're Tubin. But we're trying to set a good example for kids, right? So then, right after Splinter's heavy-handed song, all about doing the right thing and how the world is filled with terrible things we all need to work hard to help reverse, we've got a song with lyrics about surfing just because you want to, even though your mom will be scared you're gonna break your neck. Yeah, that sounds responsible. Uh, make sure your ripple effect is a good one. And then there's the anti-bullying song, where the turtles sing all about being yourself and not giving in to peer pressure, while simultaneously saying, You say whatever the turtles say! I get it's a standard interactive call and response bit, but really, that's the song where you include the line, Say whatever the turtles say? 
But I guess it's okay, because the Turtles always have everyone's best interests at heart, and you can count on us. The prevailing idea we're bashed over the head with, over any of the generic truisms, is that the Turtles are the only ones who can solve problems because they're the heroes of the story. I don't think that would have affected kids to the point where if they got beaten up at school, they'd just stand around and wait for the Ninja Turtles to show up and save them. And again, I doubt if most kids took much of anything from this except cool live-action turtles, or maybe for the older kids, I wonder why the turtles always look like they just saw Casey Jones rip a guy's spinal column out of his back. But it is odd to deliver the standard believe-in-yourself message in a show where a lot of the music is about how the turtles will save us. These incredibly mindless, interchangeable turtles. Maybe the idea is supposed to be that if you're on the side of good and stand up to evil, everything will work out in the end. That you're supposed to be like the turtles because that's what they do. There's the token bit at the end, where the turtles need the audience's help by singing the same tired, incessant lyric over and over again to defeat Shredder's de-harmonic conversions controller. But do the audience really need the turtles? At all? They're just the heroes, because we're told that standard cliché that's often used to make the stakes seem higher and put the weight of the world on the hero's shoulders. They're the only ones who can do anything about this. All you need is some really heartfelt, gushy music from someone in the audience who hasn't, quote, lost faith in the music. There's an entire room of people, and I'd bet a year's supply of pizza that you could handpick a band out of them that would play circles around the Ninja Turtles. At the very least, some people that could play their own instruments. There's this vibe of, hey kids, you're all special. You don't have to be turtles like us, but we're really just saying that to artificially boost your self-esteem. It's like Dr. Horrible. Everyone's a hero in their own way. You and you, and mostly me, and you. And of course, the turtles themselves don't really save the day. Splinter does. Now, I know I complained about that when I reviewed the original movie, and I've since reconsidered there, but it's really a problem here. And they were proactive in the film. They tried to defeat the Shredder. That's a coming-of-age story. They weren't a match for Shredder yet. They were in over their heads, and it was their first adventure as ninjas. Here, they're complete airheads, all four of them. They never believe anyone when they say the Shredder is in the building. Not even April. There's a crowd of thousands of people who all claim to have seen the Shredder, but they dismiss it. They don't even believe their own ears, or tiny holes we can't see, when they hear what should be a very recognizable laugh. The brilliant Donatello thinks it's ground hum. It's only when they finally see Shredder with their own eyes that they finally sober up and decide maybe there's some actual danger to deal with. And then after that, they have to be told everything by Splinter. Splinter figures out the weakness in Shredder's machine and tells them exactly how to solve the problem. The only turtle who shows any ingenuity at all is Donatello, who of course magically throws gadgets together at the drop of a hat because the story needs some way for the turtles to get back on stage and deal with Shredder's machine without Shredder seeing them. Don, how did you make these so fast? I just rearranged the magnetic molecular structure of that little strip on the back of our American Express card. Don't leave home without it! Oh yeah, it's as stupid as the Bat credit card in Batman and Robin. But something about the absurdity of that moment struck me as a lot more blatantly ridiculous than a lot of the rest of this, which just takes itself way too seriously and really seems to think it's doing a public service for kids. If there's gotta be a message, why not a simpler, clearer teamwork lesson? instead of making all four turtles exactly the same. In fact, the turtles are so interchangeable that the show seems confused about who is whom sometimes. Man, you got to think the groove is sound. Listen to the tracks we're 
why is Michelangelo singing a rap that seems written with Raphael's attitude in mind and where he suddenly sounds more like Raph than he does Michelangelo? And then toward the end, why does Michelangelo get the cheesy acapella spiritual number? When the lights go out and your head goes down, you're feeling all alone. When it seems like every way that you turn, there are faces made of stone. That seems like it would be more Leonardo's thing. And why is this show so Michelangelo-centric anyway? Is he the Wolverine of the group now? I could live with some of this gratuitous feel-good schlock if it wasn't wasting so much time. It's all about ratios. We get a song, then several solid minutes of the turtles walking around the stage and spewing surfer and teenage slang. Thank you, Michelangelo, man. Hey, dude, chill out. I'm totally cool. No need to be bugging. That is, unless, of course, you're hungry. Ow! Come oh, on! 70% of the time, I have no idea what on earth they're talking about. And the crowd doesn't either. The turtles will try to get a rise out of the audience, and often they look dazed and confused or like they just wish we could get on with it. I think a lot of the kids that look really excited are just ecstatic to have a camera in their faces so they got something to do. Most of the adults especially look like they're ready to eat their seat cushions. And I realize that most of these parents are just humoring their kids and probably wishing they lived or were vacationing anywhere but New York City right now. But if there was less yammering and more playing, considering this is billed as a rock show, it might be easier to stomach. And yeah, I'm saying that even with this really generic pop rock stuff. Most of us have sat through at least one bad junior high school musical in our lives, and this is really on that level. The choreography, the writing, the acting, even set design. This is all on the level of a totally originally produced 8th grade production. It's like the spring rock show a lot of junior high and high schools put on every year in the choral departments, except with all this fluffy, faux-inspirational nonsense that makes it feel a lot more like a Christian youth conference than like a Ninja Turtles thing. Sure, fine, have the turtles sing about being yourself. Have them defeat Shredder through the power of music. But don't pad the thing out to an hour and 30 minutes with a lot of awkward facepalm-inducing, ad-libbing, and moralizing. Well, they're down in the sewer, but I gotta go find them. I'm the only one here. I mean, they've got April now, and, and, and the turtles have run away, and I don't know where they are. I'm the only one who can help. I've, I've, I've got to get something to help myself uh, in case... Uh, huh? You know the way to the sewers? Because I don't know. I've never been out of my newsroom, guys. I'm not good at being a hero. I don't know what this stuff is all about. It's supposed to be a rock concert that gets crashed by the shredder. Okay, fine. So rather than a make-believe world on the stage where we, the audience, are asked to suspend our disbelief and accept the illusion of a reality that begins at the edge of the stage and that we're not a willing participant of, you know, like a play, there is no fourth wall here. The suspension of disbelief happens in accepting that fictional characters have entered our world, much like a lot of Muppet productions, and we're brought into the story because we're supposed to pretend it's really happening. Or at least, if we were there, we at home are just seeing a recording of a thing that the people involved are pretending was real when it happened. There are a lot of inconsistencies that make it clear the production is confused about which of these it is. Shredder can freeze the turtles and splinters so they don't know he's there, but not the audience. It kind of forgets that there shouldn't be any stage logic in a world where the audience is this involved. And then in the second half, most of the songs seem to happen in the moment, like we're watching a musical where people suddenly break out at a song and not a rock concert. You've got Shredder rapping about how he hates music. The gift of songs! 
And with the one genre of music he has explicitly stated he hates, rap music. Ugh, and that voice synthesizer. I guess the sound department was iffy on how convincing Shredder's costume is and decided he needed to sound more evil just in case. It seems like that happens because it's been a really long time since there's been any music at this rock show, but why would Shredder perform music in a plot to destroy all music? Unless we were in a musical where that kind of logic doesn't apply. I mean, everybody sings in a musical. If this were one of those where the songs were propelling the narrative forward, I could accept that, even with a villain plot about destroying music. That would be kind of quirky and fun. But most of the time, when this show gets absurd like that, it doesn't seem self-aware or tongue-in-cheek. And so it just comes off as careless. April sings a power ballad about how the turtles are going to save the day, and just after the turtles realize the Shredder is winning because they've stopped believing in the music, Michelangelo sings an incredibly awkward three-verse faux Broadway tearjerker called Follow Your Heart. So if the concept is music show were pretending Shredder stopped and took over, my question is, was any of that intended on being part of the original set? Uh, you know, in the fiction? During the intermission, one of the turtles, I can never remember who says what, says that they've only gotten through the first set. What exactly was in the second set? I mean, okay, there's almost the same number of songs in the last half as in the first, but in the context of the story, why don't the Turtles play the rest of the set they intended to play before Shredder hijacked this thing? Aren't they really shafting the audience? They play one more full-fledged song, finally building a chorus around the lyric we've already had to listen to the audience chant so many times at the Shredder, I feel like I'm part of the Borg Collective now. But where's the rest of the show? Maybe an hour and a half is all they're allowed time for on pay-per-view and they just happen to take the show back with time for one more song to spare before it's over? The whole thing ends really abruptly, too. Yay, we beat Shredder. Here's a song. Bye! Thanks for wasting your money on half a show when you were taken hostage by an evil ninja who threatened to make your kids slaves. No refunds! The story isn't consistent enough to be a play, but there's barely enough music to consider it a concert. What it really is, is a giant waste of my time. This could have been like the cartoon show, you know, just a bunch of fun silliness, turn your brain off, have a good time. We're just selling action figures, don't hurt yourself. Oh god, can you imagine if they'd made action figures based on this, with giant gaping mouths you could lose change inside, and removable yin-yang knee pads? But this wants to change hearts and minds, or at least pretend like that's what it's doing, and there's not nearly enough clever silliness to make up for how monumentally ineffective it is at being inspirational. I wish Shredder would break in and take away my ability to review right now. Take my keyboard and throw it into an anti-analysis trash can and turn it into confetti? I should be so lucky. So finally, let's look at Shredder's plan. He wants to destroy all music because he hates it and it's the worst. Got the picture? I music! Yeah, I hate it. It's good, and he's bad, and noise is more evil than music, so he's gotta get rid of it. Because as we all know, all music is inherently good music. Just like all rock shows are inherently good rock shows. And I guess he thinks if there's no music, somehow that'll lead to his ruling the world. So he decides to unveil his end all the music and make the world an evil place machine in the middle of opening night for the Turtles show. I've tracked the Turtles to New York, New York. Wait, he tracked them? From where? Aren't the Turtles usually in New York City? 
whatever. He says a lot of random things that make no sense, and a lot of it seems only very loosely scripted. Now, at last, I'll get the credit that I deserve. A place in the Criminal Hall of Fame will be mine! <laughs> Shut up, you Albert Einstein rejects! Don't you mean wannabe? Hey, did you pay for those seats? Then sit in them. What's your name? Ben? Big Ben. Oh, God, awesome. Back off, dude. Uh, most of the time, this guy's like a drunk, unprepared comedian on open mic night. Anyway, so Shredder specifically tracks the turtles to New York City to use this machine on them, even though it seems to affect music everywhere no matter where he plugs it in. So why take it to your arch nemesis who always beats you because you exist in a fiction with their name in the title? Bad move, tinfoil face. And this has got to be the most convoluted machine I've ever seen in anything. It seems to do whatever Shredder decides it does in the moment. It drains the turtle's life force. Of course, he doesn't bother doing that to anyone else, and when he obligatorily kidnaps April, he repeatedly tells Baxter Stockman to specifically tie her to the control panel with, like, a dog leash. Her hands aren't even bound. I mean, she could just start pushing buttons. And why doesn't April do anything? She's barely kidnapped and in the perfect position to stop Shredder's plan. Oh, and while we're on the subject, how come when the turtles get April back, they just leave her tied up for so long? Okay, okay, sorry. Too much stupid. Hard to stay focused. Anyway... The machine, A, drains the turtle's life force, B, vaguely destroys anything in the world that can be considered music, C, takes away people's voices whether or not they're making music, and D, is a trash can that destroys physical copies of music one at a time by turning them into confetti. Ladies and gentlemen, the Shredder invented a paper shredder. Congratulations. While clearly an ingenious machine, as Baxter Stockman has accounted for every possible need Shredder might have for it. Oh, and I should add that Baxter has the most character motivation of anybody in this. For all of you who laughed at me in gym class. Baxter built in one fateful flaw. The machine's one weakness is the very thing it was invented to destroy. That's right, the way you ruin this thing is by playing music at it. You see, it's a machine that messes with your feelings. So all you have to do is believe in yourself, and then the goodness of the music you play will destroy the machine because it's inherently bad. Imagine if you had a paper shredder, and the thing exploded because you threw paper at it. And not jammed it up with paper. And this machine isn't being fed too much music, it's just being fed music. I mean, there are no rules. The turtles aren't supposed to be able to affect the thing while inside their cloaking devices, but they totally do, and that's how Splinter realizes music can hurt the machine. The bad to totally uncool meter fluctuates randomly no matter what it's supposed to be set at based on whatever's happening in the story. There's probably just some guy behind it moving the needle back and forth because he's bored. You've got one job, Vernon! One job! Shredder is off stage for minutes at a time doing God knows what and makes everyone leave the auditorium while he puts his machine together for no good reason. I mean, it's like there's an invisible wall between him and the audience. If he's not worried they'll all rush the stage afterwards, why not have the foot soldiers assemble the thing while he's wandering around making bad jokes and trolling the show? 
Most of what I actually like about this show does come from the Shredder. He has a funny quip every now and again, and this guy is clearly having a blast, which is a little infectious. He's the divatox of this show. He's not taking himself too seriously and brings a little bit of much-needed self-parody to the whole thing, though his ad-libbing is sometimes as baffling as the turtles. I like his line about Flo and Eddie. I hate these turtles as much as I hate the Ninja Turtles! Oh... My D-Harmonic Convergence Controller, I can't see me loving nobody but you. We're happy together. Wait, one of the only bits I thought was kind of clever in the 2014 movie was in the coming out of their shells tour first? And going to intermission by having the villain force the audience out into the lobby is a really neat idea. It's kind of insane to have Shredder say he's locking the doors, though. I'm sure there was some terrified little kid that really thought Shredder might enslave him or take him to his technodrome and started screaming his head off because he thought he couldn't leave. Yep, I bet this version of the Shredder led to more than one set of therapy bills. Okay, I've given this thing way too much of my attention. We wouldn't even be here if not for the fact that somebody had the brilliant notion of trying to squeeze a few more bucks out of this thing by putting it on VHS. There have been lots of these stage shows for popular characters, and most of them fall into obscurity and never see the light of day by anyone who didn't buy a ticket. Not only was the production value of the stage show itself lacking, but there's some weirdness in the video production as well. A lot of slanted camera angles for no good reason, and shaking the camera a la Star Trek whenever Shredder's machine is doing things. At least the people in the auditorium were less likely to get seasick. It's so appropriate that there's a meter on stage through most of the show that starts at bad and only gets worse from there. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The show itself can never decide if it's just bad or totally uncool. This whole thing watches like a weird social experiment, like it wants to see how much money it can make on the backs of the big kid fad while being as dull and unwatchable as possible. I would love to see Fathom Events re-release this in the theater for one of their one-night-only shows just to see if anybody showed up. Well, using its own rating system, I'm going with Totally Uncool. On mine, the Ninja Turtles Coming Out of Their Shells Tour gets a .5 out of 4. Thank you! We love you! Thank you!